About three weeks ago, I got a really delightful email <clears throat> from someone who had been a member of Wellsprings very briefly in the very early days. We're talking like 2007, 2008. And then for professional reasons, they had to move away. And I hadn't heard from this person in about that time, almost coming up on a, a decade now. And they got in touch to say just hello, greetings, missed you, missed the congregation, wanted an update. And then they also wanted to offer their gratitude. The reason they wanted to offer the gratitude was this, which some of you might remember or might recall from Wellsprings, from Wellsprings 2.0. I have no idea where I first saw this. I've been using this for, I don't know, since about 1999, I think, in small groups. And the way that it works is that you match up the boxes with each other, vertical and horizontal, to the right, to the left, and you fill it in, starting with this phrase. I am not good at, and I don't like. You start with the negative stuff first, get it out of the way. I'm not good at, and I don't like, one. I'm good at, but I don't like, box two. Fill it in with as many things you can think of. I'm not good at, and I like, box three. And I'm good at, and I like, box four. As many things as you can think of that comprise your daily life that you do. It is intended to help us define and understand and get in touch with our gifts and our strengths, which a lot of us don't spend a lot of time doing, at least not intentionally. So the reason that this former member of the congregation reached out to me is that in their field, professionally, they are often sought out for, by younger colleagues for guidance, for some professional nurturing. And very often they come to him when they actually have lost their way, when they don't know if they're doing the right thing. They're lacking guidance. Maybe they're consumed by self-doubt. And so he wanted to say thanks because this is something that he brings out, he says, at least two or three times a year when he's sitting with a younger person who needs just a little bit more help in being able to understand what they're good at, what they like doing, and where their growth is that stands before them. So I love this exercise, and like I said, I've been using it for going on almost two decades now. And the truth is, I brought this out of Wellsprings as well, too. I've been using it first in the fall and then recently, about two or three weeks ago, at uh, my internship site, at, which is a, it's called the Intensive Outpatient for people in early recovery, young people in early recovery. Now, this is not a population that spends a lot of time feeling good about themselves. <laughs> this is actually a population that spends a lot of time in self-judgment, spends a lot of time feeling self-doubt. And so I shared this exercise as part of what we call, you know, psychosocial spiritual intervention. And I wanted to give them an example of what this might look like in my life. So I gave an example. I said, if I was going to fill this out a year ago, you would have seen that it looked like this for one of these examples. I am good at and I like writing papers. However, because things can shift over time, filling this out today, this is what it looks like. <laughs> I am good at and I do not like writing papers. Folks. I am so done. <laughs> and I'm not. <laughs> I am over it writing papers. I got to tell you, when I began school, 
in fall of 2016 when this so-called part-time program really was a part-time program. It's not anymore. I loved being back in school. 18 years between master's degrees, sober this time. I didn't need to find anywhere between 10 and 30 hours a week to fit in my drinking. In my 40s, self-knowledgeable, with insight, self-acceptance, a whole bunch of things I didn't have in my 20s. And I stand here today to tell you the gleam of that first semester has completely faded. (laughs) I am still learning a ton. Actually more, much more this second year than the first year. I'm just over the halfway mark, but not by much. School and internship and Wellsprings, one of the three occupies pretty much every moment of my waking hours. I'm not complaining. I'm not. I chose this path. And time is tight, and I am tired. There are classes that I love that I can't give nearly the amount of time that I want to. And there are the classes, such as the methods of research that I'm taking right now, that I have to give time to that I wish I did not. Not that it's not valuable, not that it doesn't serve a purpose, but... uh, and that's, that's not the worst part. The worst part is actually that relationships that I love, people I count and I, and, and I care about, learning from the experience in the fall going into the spring, I actually told some of these folks, listen, I'm going to be more absent from our friendship than I would like to be. Please don't forget about me. I'm going to be here come May. But recognize I'm not as much here as I'd like to be right now. This is an imbalanced season of my life. You all know what that's like. You know, over the long haul, we can hope for balance. But some months are just not going to be balanced. And by the way, I know that so many more people do so much more than I'm doing with so much less in terms of access to resources and support. So please... I am not asking for pity today. I'm not in a pitiable situation. I'm just saying I'm exhausted. And it's good to be honest. And I got to tell you, February, February is just, February is the month when I miss living in South Florida. It's the one month a year when I miss living in South Florida. I miss the sun. The darkness has gotten to me, even though I know it's starting to get lighter, which is why today, you know, on the one hand, yes, giving up the hour of sleep last night, eh. But on the other hand, when it's still light out at 7.15 tonight, I will be doing a little dance, either inside or maybe doing an actual happy dance. Four weeks ago, though, I was feeling blah. School just started back up again, and I was not feeling it in any way. But there was something that gave me a sense of release, a second wind, a reminder that I can do this, and it'll be fine. The reminder was this. I was at mile seven. In my early 30s, as an attempt to start to get myself healthier, and it worked in time, I ran a bunch of half marathons. I got crappy legs. I shattered my right tibia when I was 14, and I'll never fully recover from it. There was no chance I could do a marathon. But half marathons actually felt like they would be a good challenge. And so I started running a bunch of them. 
And what I learned, especially in that first half marathon, that mile seven, just past the halfway point, mile seven sucked. (laughs) It hurt. I was too far in to turn back. It was too far to go to begin looking ahead. There was pain and tiredness in my legs. Mile seven was all about self-doubt. At mile seven, my balance was all out of whack. And this right leg that hurts me most days really hurt. And my once crisp form that I began the race with totally faltered. Mile seven was not much fun. But in those days before I had anything like a committed mindfulness practice like I do right now, there was something within me that recognized as I got tighter, as I got tenser, as I got more down on myself and wonder if I'd be able to finish and should I even have started this in the first place, there was something that said, slow down. Feel each footfall. I didn't know the words back then, but it was something like what we say every week here at Wellsprings. One conscious step, one conscious breath. And so in February, when I was wondering if I had the energy to be able to make it through, or even if I wanted to, I just said to myself, this is a mile seven moment. It's happened before. It'll happen again. It's not much fun. But I can remember I made it through before, and I can do it again. Now, you may not be a runner, and technically I'm not a runner anymore, although runner's wisdom continues to stay with me. I might ask you for a moment to check in with yourself and ask you, what is your experience that you can point to within your own life, your mile seven moment, when it was too far in to turn back and too far to go to look ahead. This is one of the clearest and most clarifying questions I ask folks when we find ourselves lost. I ask it of myself and I ask it of others. When have you been in a time like this before? And how did you make it through? When have you been in a time like this before? And how did you make it through? This is a challenge for so much of us when we are lost and filled with self-doubt and wondering if we have what it takes. Sometimes one of the first things to go is we forget our strengths. (laughs) Bev, absolutely. Things went all kinds of wrong today, and you know it went right. You got here. Things go right for us so often in this life. And when it feels like the bottom drops out, we can forget that. It is not that life is difficult. It's that life is profoundly difficult. And we are also profoundly resilient. There is a part of mindfulness I have found over and over again that is actually remindfulness. Remembering your strengths. Remembering who you are and who you have been, and remembering that you have lived, all of us, through all kinds of crap. (laughs) 
just to make it here today. How often we forget that. How often we forget to give ourselves a little pat on the back instead of kicking our ass. If you've been around for a while, you know that one of the traditions that I draw upon very regularly in my spiritual practice is Buddhism. And one of the stories, one of the images that helps me keep it green to remain receptive when life is difficult is from the moment right before the Buddha's enlightenment. You've perhaps seen these pictures, seen these stories. The Buddha is making what are called two mudras, hand signals. This is the moment when the Buddha is being assailed by doubt and delusion and fear and lust and all the things that are making him say, stop sitting here. Stop paying attention. The one hand signal is openness. Receptivity. Think how often we close our fist, clench our fist towards our own experience. This is openness. And actually, I think the even more important one is this. The Buddha touches the ground. I am here. I am grounded. I am connected. And by the way, there was nothing special about the Buddha. Just like us. But to remember that receptivity and that groundedness when we are most challenged is to be reminded. Think of all the strength that it took you, all the things you have survived, just to arrive here today. Truth is, we've already done this work before. I mean, this is a different iteration right now if you're facing a challenge. But you've done work like this before. We can all do it again. There's a writer named Omid Safi, who is a Muslim scholar, Durham, North Carolina. And he writes for On Being, both the podcast and the radio show. And he's also a columnist. And he wrote recently about a retreat that he went on with the On Being team. And it was in Northern California. And at one point, they took a trip to the Redwoods. I don't know if you've ever seen the Redwoods before. Talk about majesty. Talk about growth. And, you know, it's an extraordinary experience. And that captured his heart. But this is what he really found. He actually saw this. And there was a little plaque next to these Redwoods that were no longer growing. Hundreds of years ago, a single large Redwood grew here. And then disaster struck. The trunk of the large redwood was killed, perhaps by repeated and severe wildfire, natural or made by humans. From here you can see the original tree trunk still standing upright now, a dead and blackened snag. Despite such terrible damage, though, the tree did not die. Below the ground... Its massive root system was full of vitality. Before long, hundreds of young, bright, green, burl sprouts began to come up around the circle formed by the root crown of the original tree. Some of those sprouts have grown into full-sized trees that today stand in a circle around the original trunk. Omid Safi said to himself, I had to slowly mouth these words to myself, repeat these words to myself, which rang in my heart more and more and more profoundly with each repetition. 
despite such terrible damage, the tree did not die. Despite such terrible damage, the tree did not die. It's so easy for us to get lost inside of our terrible damage. And at times it is terrible. Much worse than the stuff I (laughs) described in my own tiredness in the beginning of the service. This is how we can keep it green. To remember that if we are here right now, despite the terrible damage, the tree did not die. We can remember that moment... Think of it for yourselves right now. When you faced that challenge that you did not think you had it within you, that heartbreak, that unexpected loss, that first step into recovery. And yes, I do want to say a disclaimer, kind of like, you know, if you get a prospectus for investing in stock, they'll tell you past performance is no indication of future benefit, which is true to a certain extent. (laughs) But the thing is, I don't think any of us need a guarantee We actually just need a little bit of hope, (laughs) a little sprout that reminds us the difficulties we have lived through. We are more capable than them. I remember when I had made it past mile seven in that half marathon, um, and it ended in Prospect Park in Brooklyn, which is actually the park that I grew up on for the first year and a half of my life. And I used to be walked by, uh, walked through there with my parents. Of course, I don't remember any of this, but there are pictures of it. And it was mile 10, mile 11, mile 12. And I was getting closer to the end, and the pain was intensifying. And I remember thinking, this place that I had been walked as a kid, a little memory came back. It was of this. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I, lo- I, hope, I hope parents are still teaching that to their kids. It's such a wonderful, like, resiliency builder. It's not like, hey, everything's going to be okay. Life is going to be easy. No. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And one of the most magical things that I found in my life is that when we can remember our capacity for resilience is other people will see it in us as well too. And they'll reflect it back to us. As I was finishing up, I was in mile 12, just literally kind of dragging my right leg behind me. (laughs) I was going to finish. And much more accomplished runners than myself had actually come through back again because, you know, 13 miles wasn't enough for them. (laughs) And they started running the loop again. And one of these guys who looked like in this peak physical condition that just made me kind of like, ugh. But (laughs) he actually saw that I was struggling. And he ran with me for about a half mile. He said, you're going to do this. You can do this. You're all right. And I believed him. I have a, a client who I work with in my coaching, uh, a guy who told me something really early on when we started working together. And I love that he said this, and I especially love that he said this as a dude. <laughs> it is sometimes really difficult for those of us who identify as male, as masculine, to be able to talk about this. He said, at times, I am going to need you to de- be my cheerleader. <laughs> Not just to be my coach, but to be my cheerleader. And so at times, I will reflect back to him very directly. You're doing great. You're trying really hard. You can make it. And he has, and he is. I referred to Wellsprings 2.0 in the beginning of the message today. 
One of the readings that we use from there is from Eleanor Roosevelt. She's got this wonderful quote. She says, every time we look, stop to look fear in the face, we gain strength, hope, and courage, confidence. We can say to ourselves, I have lived through this horror. I can take the next thing that comes along. You must do the thing that you think you cannot do. Most of us really can. If we can remember who we are. If we can remember our past mile sevens. Maybe then this current burden will be lifted just a little lighter. And we'll be able to move more smoothly. Which left self-doubt. We can remember we've been here before. We can do it again. You can do it again. We all can. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? Spirit, as present as is this breath, this breath that connects to all the breath that have come before it, this breath that can literally give us courage, fill the heart with what it needs, and invite us to remember that when we look honestly at our lives, we will see all kinds of times when the journey has been really rocky and we've fallen down, when we failed even. And yet to have failed is not to be a failure because we're here. We made it through somehow. May we set on our hearts, not just with our thoughts, but set and scribe into our hearts this day. That because we are here, we are by definition resilient. That we can take another breath. We can let what is most heavy about our lives be released. We can find once again our own light and see that light in others as well. Amen.